Hi friends, it's Kay the Moran and welcome back to the Let's Get Candid podcast. How's everybody doing today? Happy Thursday, good morning, good afternoon, good evening. As always, so excited to be back on the mic with you guys. If you hear my dog in the background, we are working from home today and he is a little antsy because the mailman just drove by. But it's such a beautiful day in Miami and honestly, I I said this recently, but I'm just so happy to be back home. I'm actually going to Dallas this weekend and New York City next weekend, but it just, whenever I come home from a trip or I'm like going to be leaving soon, I just, I feel a deeper appreciation for this city and all that there is to do here and that I get to represent such a vibrant and multicultural place because having lived in somewhere that is not like that I just know now that this is like where I'm meant to be in the sunshine and it just it's so beautiful here and I'm just in a good mood this week has been quite an adventure (laughs) let me just tell you I am about two weeks into launching my own law firm doing consultations and calls and meetings left and right People are coming to me like from places like I did not expect. People are finding me and want to know what I'm up to, how I got into it. They're inspired by me. And it just, it's like, pinch me. Like, is this really happening? Like, like holy crap. Because I still feel sometimes like, you know, this is still a pipe dream. But it's not. Like, I know that this is what I'm meant to be doing. My intuition is telling me that this is what it is and like you can't rationalize intuition if you can it's not intuition and I just I know that this is right so it feels really good to feel rewarded for it when people come to me and want to know more about what I'm doing and how they can be a part of it and are inspired and I there's so many things I want to share and so many ways for me to share and there's just so much I want to do because I have so much to give And I need to remember that it's okay to slow down and take my time and do things in their own timing and when they really do feel right and when the opportunities present themselves. But I have a running list of ideas, so I'm not going anywhere. But yeah, this week has been really good. So I think we'll just jump right into my suck and sweet of the week then. Um, My suck of the week is that, you know... There's been some interesting developments in my love life and my friendship life. Um, Relationships have shifted. A lot has changed, but it's all for the best. And it sucks sometimes when you lose a friend that you really cared about or the friendship that you thought you had isn't isn't what you thought it was. Someone else wanted something different from you and that has been happening a little bit. And I just, I'm grateful for it my true friendships that have been there for me along the way that I have gone to when I needed advice or guidance in how to handle certain situations and just it re you know reminded me that these are my true people and that I can go to them for anything and anything at any time and they are always there for me no matter what and that's a small handful of people but it feels really good to know that those are my people And it just sucks that they're not always in my city because I've traveled to go to school and, you know, I I travel a lot. So I meet a lot of people and it's really cool to have a lot of friends in a lot of different places and build true friendships like that, that we can talk no matter the time zone, no matter 
what's going on in our lives career-wise relationship-wise whatever like we are solid and like that's my like my soulmate my soulmate friendship but it sucks that they sometimes don't live in my city because you know I can't just go over there when I need a hug or they can't come to me when you know they had a long day at work and want to get drinks so that's been quite an adjustment but I love that I get to work remotely and visit them hopefully soon um, that's why I'm going to Dallas I'm visiting well I'm visiting a couple people while I'm in Dallas, but I'm going on a girl's trip with my best friend and mentor from law school. She lives in a different city, but we do an annual girl's trip every year. Last year, we recorded a podcast episode on our girl's trip, Yasmin, where we talk all about big law and you know her experience in law school. So go check that out. I'll link it below. But this year, we decided to do a city that neither of us have ever been to before. So we were between Dallas and Charlotte, or not Charlotte, Charleston, and we chose Dallas. So it'll be good to see her and reconnect and just, she's like one of my people now. Like I know, I don't know if I want bridesmaids, but like if I were to have bridesmaids, she would be one of my bridesmaids. And and then I'm going to New York City with my family and seeing some friends while I'm there as well that I've met on social media. Social media is such a great place to meet people. That's actually how I met one of my best friends who lives in Chicago. Um, and then we happen to be on our bar trip together. So that's really how we got connected. But social media has built our relationship foundation. And, you know, some of my best friends are from social media. So that's really cool. But it sucks that they don't live in my city. So I guess my suck of the week is just that, you know, as I've evolved and grown, my friendships have evolved and changed. And it's a little hard to navigate sometimes because we're all just figuring it out. But it's nice to know that you have your people when you need them when things like this happen and you know it's been an emotional roller coaster involving that in addition to the career and you know the imposter syndrome type of moments about going on an untraditional path but it's it's part of life and honestly I'm really grateful for it because I've come a really long way and I'm really proud of myself with everything that has happened and how I've handled it ultimately I may not have had some of my finest moments but I've learned from them and you know everything really does happen for a reason and the people that are meant to be in your life will be and if they're not meant to be in your life and they don't like you because of one small moment then those aren't your people and my sweet of the week is just that in the theme of sharing so much and having so many ideas the last few weeks I've had a couple of calls with pre-law students and one else that are considering law school or in law school and love what I'm doing and are inspired by what I'm doing and want to go on this career path to be a lawyer potentially in the creator economy in the NIL space in the sports space in the entertainment space and they see what I'm doing they think it's really cool and want to learn more about my story to see how I could help them and support them and provide guidance and it just is really freaking cool that I get to be that because I remember when I was in their shoes and was doing the networking and reaching out to people to get advice and help in figuring out is law school right for me what law school what programs should I look for you know how do I get the internships that I want because I think I want to do x you know it's really cool and I still have those calls today with lawyers and business people on I want to start offering this service in my business how can I do that or how do I set up this this bank account or this business like what are the things that I need to have in order to do it properly how did you get to where you are today like I still reach out to people 
and network and gain advice and mentorship. But it's really cool now that I'm the one providing that mentorship to the next generation of potential lawyers and future lawyers. And it is really freaking cool. And, you know, my professor the other day, I told you guys last week, was like, I am so damn proud of everything that you've accomplished and how far you've come. Like, it is so inspiring and like it's just incredible to watch. I have to reach out to another professor that has said similar things to me and it just it's really nice to go back to my school and have people in my corner because while I was there it was really hard to feel like I did but having these two professors in particular just means the absolute world to me that they are my champions and have seen me really come this far and I love being that for the next generation and you know it's when I I had a 3L yesterday. She's a 3L now. I went to college with her. When we first talked, she was a senior in college looking to apply to law school. Now she's about to graduate in two, three months. Like it's been three years. So much has changed. And she was like, you know what? Like the advice that you gave me really prepared me and set me up like in such a good place. Like I am so grateful for the advice you gave me. Like, truly like keep doing what you're doing it i'm so happy other people are coming to you because no one talks about law school the way that you do and you really gave me insight that nobody else does and that was so important and so helpful so thank you like you've really it it changed my life and i was like holy crap and so like my suite of the week is just keep putting out your what you're passionate about your energy what you are inspired to do your calling if you feel called to do something do it because it comes back tenfold and my suite of the week is just getting messages like that and getting calls or or dms from people that want to have calls with me or go to lunches and it's just it's so it feels so freaking good and i'm just in such a like a high because of it i am honestly like that outweighs everything that's been going wrong in my life not that it's been going wrong but you know what i mean But anyway, speaking of having a calling and, you know, doing what you're doing and leaving a job because it's not right for you, because you know that you have a passion for, even if you know it's going to be hard and doing it anyway, because it's what you will know you are meant to be doing. This week's episode with Hani is absolutely incredible. She started her own design business. She designs Indian wedding dresses and Indian clothing. It is so freaking cool. We talk all about that and how she grew her business and how, you know, it kind of all came together and she has experience in social media. We actually know each other through Natalie, who you guys know I worked at Rella with her. She's the founder of Rella. Hani used to work with Natalie prior to Rella. And it's just cool to see how our networks collide and we're doing such different things. But at the foundation, it's all about passion and what you feel called to do and that's what this podcast is for i want people to hear so many different perspectives and opportunities and insights and help that guide you to figuring out what your calling is and pursuing it and giving you the tools to do it that is my goal that's why it's let's get candid we're getting candid on anything and everything that it takes to be the best version of yourself and show up the way that you want to and you know, that was such a great reminder too for the beginning of 2023. And just, I had to share that with all of you. So if you like this episode, please leave a rating and review. Please subscribe to the show, share with a friend, tag us as you're listening and screenshot it. 
and go shout out Hani, go talk, go check out Rella. I don't even know what I'm saying anymore. <laughs> I need coffee. Go check out Rella. Go check out Hani. I'll link everything in the show notes as always. And thank you guys so, so much for listening. It really does mean the absolute world to me. And I will talk to you guys next week. Meet Hani. Hani, what's something that people don't know about you just from following you? One of the things I guess people don't know about me is I'm actually not an extrovert. I think when you see me on social and just the nature of my job, um, it's kind of required that you are an extrovert to network, to be in social media and PR especially and go to events and stuff. But every single day, I need at least like two to three hours just by myself without talking to anyone, just me and my my room or doing whatever. Um, and I think people really don't realize that, um, especially even I have friends in my life that sometimes will be like, oh, but you can do things back to back. You're okay. You do this all the time. And I'm like, I would like not. <laughs> yeah, no, I, it's funny. I was talking about this with somebody else too, but I'm the same way. I think I'm, I used to say I'm an extrovert I or like an ambivert, yeah. but I honestly just think I'm an extroverted introvert Yeah, because I'm the same way. I need to like I so I'm the type of person that I need to my my battery cast is at 100 I need it to get to zero like I need to burn out not Mm -hmm. fully but like I need to lose all my battery and then I need to be alone for a little while to recharge to get back to 100 but then once I hit 100 I need to expel it because then I'm bouncing off the walls with energy so yeah I'm the same way and I think yeah like people love to think that you're confident or you're, you're extroverted or you're this to be on social media. And in reality, it's not because we're still doing it from the comfort of our own home. And like, it's the same thing. And this is part of why I started the podcast and I called it, let's get candidates. Like this is a conversation you and I would be having on FaceTime, but I happen to just be recording it to share it with the world. And it's not taking away, or it's not like I'm being, I'm not putting on a persona. This is just who I am. And that's how I approach social media. Not everyone does that, but that like I hop on stories and who I am on stories, who I am offline. And yeah. not everyone does that, but I just, at least for me, it do, it's not like it's like I'm, t- I'm, I'm doing anything extra. I'm not trying to be extroverted. I just, I am a social person. I like meeting people. I love networking. I love talking to people. I love learning, but I, I'm at, I, I hit my breaking point too. And I'm like, okay, time to like be back in a hermit, go back to my cave and like yeah. decompress for the weekend. And then I'm ready to do it again on Monday. So yeah. I, I think that's a really big misconception, but I think most people that are on social media actually aren't extroverted. Yeah. I will say 90% of the friends I've made on social media in real life were very similar that like, there are some days where you're probably just not having it. Like or you have an event to go to and you kind of just have to like, like it is a part of your job, right? Like people don't realize that like sometimes going to these things or being in social settings is a part of the job description. And so it's just like any other job. If you're not feeling great or like um, are in some kind of mood, you kind of have to like get, get that at bay, go do your job, come back and decompress. It's the same thing. So I don't know, like people always just be, be like talking about how it's so easy for me. And it's like, it's part of what I have to do on a daily basis. That's, it's just a skill. Um, yeah. I think yeah. that's a good way to put it. It's a skill. It's yeah. a skill that we have that we've owned. And 
you can learn that. Like it's not for, at least for me, I don't know if it's a learned skill for you, but for me, it was inherent. It was built into me, but some people learn that skill and, and you just have to use it to your advantage and know when to turn it off and when to turn it on. And and yeah, like you just, it's a, it's a tool in your toolbox, but and then you also need to have the tools to help you decompress and help you, you know, come back into yourself and, you know, some people journal, some people meditate, some people listen to podcasts, some people like to go for walks. Like you have your, your, your down, your like yeah. ways to help you come down, but then wind down, yeah. to wind down, but you know, when, all right, I need to be on, like, this is what I got to do. Like, you know, you put on makeup, you do your hair, you put on a good outfit, like put on like some really good music and you're dancing around while you're getting ready. And like, all right, now I'm ready to go to this event. And then you come home. It's like, all right, wash it all off and ready to go to bed and then do it again. Yeah. The next day. And no, that's a good one, I think. And I think it's a it's a really big misconception. So I'm glad we we talked about that. But for people who don't know who you are, like, can you talk a little bit about what you do now and how you got there? Yeah. So a little like quick summary. Um, I I live in Baltimore, or I used to live in Baltimore. I'm in Maryland now. Um, and I have been here for however many, I would say like 20, 25 years. Um, I went to school here and during school, I initially wanted to be a doctor and I just didn't, like I got to a point where I was taking organic chemistry and it really didn't work. Like it just- Everybody that I talk to hates orgo. It's not like, it's just like a mutual, like everyone just hates that class. I know people, like the people that love it are not on, like clearly I was doing that. Like there's nothing that I could have done there. I did, like I was studying so hard. I couldn't, I just couldn't visualize what I was supposed to visualize at that point. So I knew that it wasn't for me at that point. And I switched to finance, like honestly, just on a whim, like business and finance, it wasn't a plan. It was just kind of like, uh oh, I don't know what I want to do. And we're just going to pivot. Um, I was lucky I took a ton of APs in high school and stuff. And so switching like drastically like that was not a big deal Um, or else I would have probably graduated later, but I did that. And so while I was applying to jobs my senior year, I had gone to India. And so when I was in India, I um, found like there was a huge bridal clothing market of like my friends getting married and all of that here and nobody had access to clothes. So I decided to start my own thing while I was a senior in college. And so I started my fashion company then called Denise Collections. And we're five years in and I do like custom bridal clothing for South Asian weddings. Um, So that's how I started that. I still, and we talked about this earlier, but I still like wanted to go into finance just to like have that experience and kind of, I mean, like I'd always want, once I was in that major, I wanted to be in banking and stuff. So I still went out and got that corporate job. However, it just was not great. Um, the culture is not the best being a woman, being a woman of color, it just like wasn't fun at all. So I quit my job probably a year out from that. I took like a six month gap, worked on my business. And then in 2020, when the pandemic was about to hit, I got my neck full-time venture capital job. And that was with, um, it was like a marketing hybrid position. And so they created it for me. And that was a lot nicer in theory, but the culture ended up being pretty similar. Um, It wasn't as creative as they told me it was going to be and just a bunch of stuff. 
Yeah. And at that point I started also working with Natalie. So it was, I was like getting my creative outlet there. My wedding, like clothing company was completely shut down because of COVID. So it was all just like digital marketing at that point. And then Natalie was very like supportive of getting my own freelance clients and all of that too. So I did that. And eventually my clothing company started again because things were working again in the world. And now I like had five things on my plate that I couldn't juggle. And I like looked at that and talked to my parents and we together came about the decision that like financially it was okay for me to leave my full-time job because all the other freelance income was pretty much a lot more than what I was making at my job and my job environment just sucked. So I got out of my job last year in February thinking I'm going to go freelance full-time still working with Natalie at that point. Um, and she also was like, yes, this is a good decision. And then, um, as soon as I quit my job, I had like my freelance clients tell their friends, tell people they knew in their network. And all of a sudden, like I had this influx of clients come in. I did not plan on starting an agency at all. It was supposed to be just freelance. But then when I had the amount of work that came in within the first month, I was like, oh no, I need to like hire someone, which means I need to like make this a full legit like agency. And so that's like really when I did that. Um, it's really funny because I talk about how my first business was very like, here's the name, here's the brand, here's all of that. And then we launched with my agency now. It really was backwards. Like I had the work and then I had to come up with the branding, come up with all of that. Our website didn't even launch till this January. Like it was just kind of doing it on the fly. That's so cool. And it's so for people who don't know who we're talking about, Natalie Barbu, who I've had on the podcast before, she is one of my best friends and she's also literally the person behind me starting my own podcast and who pushed me to do it. And I, I love hearing I love talking to other people who've had that same experience with her. She is someone who is truly like, she, she's really good at picking up on what you're good at and helping encourage you to pursue it. So that's yeah. so cool that she was the one that also was like, you have a gift, like you need to do something about it. Also good to know. I mean, I knew this from her, but good to know <laughs> that you do South Asian wedding clothes because one of my best friends, actually one of my best friends from college, he just went to his girlfriend's family wedding in Texas and he was like, it's a thousand people wedding. And I was like, what? And I was like, I know that yeah. those are, I know that they're big, but like, I just hadn't fathomed like how big. And I also, apparently that's like not that big. Um, but like yeah. she made the clothes, like she like helped, she went to India and like created like the outfits for them, like for like her family. And I was like, I just can't wait to go to wood and like be around how like the clothes are so beautiful. And like, I just, she, he showed me a little bit of the design process that she would send him. And it was just, it was, I don't know, I love all that. So like, and he's like, don't worry, you'll be at my wedding. I was like, I freaking better be at your wedding. Like it's a thousand people. Like I'm pretty sure I fit into those like a thousand people, yeah. just how big it is. But I can't wait to like wear like a, a, the beautiful outfits and like just be surrounded by it. It's so pretty, but so good to know. But for yeah. future, um, but yeah. So how do you go about starting a business like that? Especially like there's so many people who want to start their own business now, especially clothing. And it's really hard just, you know, ask like, how do I get a manufacturer? How, like, what were the steps of starting? And of course you were in India is a little different because you like you, it's a different type of clothing business for sure. Yeah. But how do you go about starting a business like that? 
I, um, I mean, I was 21 at the time. I really like, honestly did not know what I was doing because I like, quite frankly, I hadn't, people always ask if I went to fashion school or something. I didn't like, I didn't have a fashion degree. I knew what I knew about making clothes from like the actual design part, but like putting a garment together, like that's not my strong suit. And I don't like that is not even what I do, right? I don't manufacture it. So that's a huge misconception that people have when they come to me. They're like, you're making all the clothes, you're doing the, and I'm like, no, 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 I sketch it and it gets sent off. And so finding the manufacturing teams was really like, we truly found them through Instagram and Facebook. And that is so scary to say out loud because we um, had been like, like, luckily we didn't lose a ton of money doing that because it was from like, we were in India, we came up with the idea and then we came back home. And so when I came back here is when I like really formulated it and decided on doing it. But we were overseas. So we like interviewed people through Zoom and just found them through Instagram and Facebook and like their work. And that's worked great for us, but it's worked really badly for other people. I know like you can be tricked. You can like wire money to like someone else. So I'm lucky that it worked out in our favor. Um, And then about a year later, I actually went and met them in person. So we've had the same team for five years. We've um, kept the same quality in manufacturing. Again, really lucky because that doesn't happen very often, um, especially through a global pandemic. Um, But it was just doing my research online and using like social media and um, websites and all of that stuff to find these people and just kind of seeing who I, I think hiring as a whole is like seeing who you can mesh well with, like sure they need a skill set and in this case they really do but I think coming back to just hiring people for your team it's like really important to see how they communicate and fit well with your team and I think we had that edge of like interviewing people pretty in a pretty detailed manner and then sending some of our family in India to go visit them at that point and we were able to see that they like wanted to work with us they wanted to really go above and beyond and all of those skills that you kind of look for just in a team member they had that so that's also why I think it worked out well and it's good too that you had your family that you could ask them like can you go vet these people can you go check out the factory can you they make sure like they're actually who they say they are and they're they can do what they're telling us that they can do that's really important too but Yeah, I want to ask you about, you know, building out your businesses, but how did you start getting clients? Like, was it quick when you first started this? Like you started in college, it's been five years now. Was it like, all right, I'm putting this out in the world and I'm doing this and like the clients came or like, how did it really come about for you to create this as a business? Because you were in college and you still went to go work in corporate. America. So how did that really like happen? So it was, I will say like one of the best marketing tools, even though I have an agency, like is word of mouth, like word of mouth gives you the kinds of clients that you are definitely looking for. And like, is more reliable than probably any other form of marketing. Like it's the most powerful one. So I would say the first year or two of Anise Collections, we didn't have social really. It was just the website and it was going to trade shows, going to expos and like really showing people what we have. Um, and that was the best way to do it. I I, th- I remember my first bride was one of our family friends and then um, it like kind of went off of that. Um, 
So after my first wedding, it was just about showing people what I could do and how I did it. And then them telling other people. Um, and that's really how we got off the ground was really showing people our product in person. And then I also went and like networked a ton. I became like a bridal assistant on weekends. So with my corporate job with this business, I worked with like a really high end wedding planner in this area. And so I basically worked all these weddings over the weekends and I'm like the youngest, well, not anymore, but I was the youngest person in the wedding market. And so all the vendors knew me and like would take me under their wing and treat me like family. And it was really nice. And they would then refer me to their fr their friends, their family, their clients. And that's really how the momentum got built up. And I would say the similar thing happened with my agency too. It was like, it truly was word of mouth. It wasn't, I didn't do much else besides networking and word of mouth. And that's the power of influencers. Like people don't realize it. It's not about links. It's not about, you know, sales conversions. Like that's what people, now it's become that. But at the beginning, it was the whole, everyone has influence you know, you, you influence your friends, you influence your family, even on a small scale, like, you know, your friends in middle school would ask you like, Oh, where did you get that shirt? where did you get that? Those shoes? Like you're influencing them. And that is what word of mouth is. So yeah. I'm glad you brought that up too, that it, it will always be the number one form of marketing. And it's, and it's really it's a, it's a skill at the end of the day, it's still a skill that you have like building out that network and, you know, having them be influencers for you. And, and I think with any business, when you are the entrepreneur, you are the founder of the business and you, you know, you can't expect like people care about ROIs and numbers and margins. And it's like, you have to do it because you love it. At the end of the day, yeah. you have to genuinely love it and be willing to take those risks that it doesn't work out, but you, you know, the word of mouth is so important because those are the people that genuinely love and support you. And they tend to be your family and your friends and then their network and then that person's network. And that's why LinkedIn is so important too. Like I talk about that a lot on the podcast, like LinkedIn is so essential. And I'm even, I'm sure for like creatives nowadays on LinkedIn too, but in the yeah. business world, you were in finance, you know, like your network, you meet, you connect with one person, then you have access to their network. And then you can go and look through their network and meet one person there. And then you have access to that person and it grows and grows and grows from there. And you never know five years from now, you're looking for a new job and you're like, oh, that one person used to work at this company. That company has a position that I might be interested in. Let me reach out. Hey, it's been a few years. Hope you're doing well. Saw your kids had a birthday or you went to on a trip. Like, you know, it looked, the pictures look beautiful. Like, are you available sometime to chat? I would, I, I know you've left this company, but I'm interested in this position. Would love to chat with you. Or do you know anyone that still there that I can talk to? And they're going to be wanting, they're going to want to reach out to you. So yeah. it's all about word of mouth. It's all about your network. So I'm really like, as someone who is really like, I love networking, connecting with people and helping people do that. So I'm glad we like touched on that because it's so underrated how important that really is. Yeah. And I like, I make it a point now that I have a full team is that like it is really important for them to network on their own too like I can't just be the one I know I'm the founder but besides that like for them it like even just for their personal use like you have to do it so I'm pretty big on like like even today this week my friend or my friend my employee is at um at inbound in Boston um the HubSpot conference so like I was like 
you have to go, you're in Boston, you should go. Um, like, here's the ticket from our company, but go, go network, go talk about what you're doing. Like, I make it a point for my employees to do it too, because it is a skill. Again, it's a skill you have to practice if you're not good at it. But I also always say like, reach out to that person that you think is really cool on Instagram, on LinkedIn, whatever, like reach out to them. The worst that's going to happen is either they're not going to respond or they're going to say no, but like, just reach out. You never know what's going to happen if you do reach out and they do want to talk to you. So yeah. No. And and it's what we were talking about with Natalie. Like she has always pushed us to be like, you are really good at this. You should do something with it. Yeah. And you know, I wouldn't be able to have the podcast I do without the network that I have. And it's all just not being afraid to like, oh, I like what you're doing. Like, let's get coffee sometime or let's on Zoom because now we can do that. And, And it's special that, you know, she pushed her employees, you and I being former employees or, well, I'm still an employee, but, and then you do that, you pass it forward and do that with your employees because at the end of the day, they're networking and it, it's helping them, but it's also helping you. Yeah. And it's hard to not see them as competition sometimes when like, but as if you are a good founder, you are a good team builder. You recognize that your employees have strengths that are your weaknesses and you learn how to use that to your advantage. And, and the same way, like their weaknesses are your strengths. So they they compliment you guys compliment each other. And that's the key to building a good team. So actually great transition. So when you started your agency or well talk about you said like you did it all backwards like you was like you you were freelancing you got all these clients you're like okay guess I need to build a team need to build an actual agency now what was that like what did you like what were the first people you hired have you had to fire anyone like what has it really been like building a team what do you look for when you're building a team for something especially like a creative agency like this yeah it was really like besides the panic that ensued as soon as I realized (laughs) I had that for about a week. And then I think my first move was um, like the timing of it all really was key, I would say. So as soon as I decided I need to hire someone like I've, and this is again, coming back to the whole networking thing, I've never had to look outside my network to hire people um, because either friends have told people about my company and their cousin, their little sister's friend, whoever is looking for a job and they've sent me a resume. So when I needed to hire two weeks prior to that, my friend um, that I was in her wedding, like texted me and was like, Hey, my cousin is graduating from Michigan in May and she doesn't have a job lined up yet. She's looking for a position in marketing. Do you have anything? And she was referring to my clothing company at that point. And I was like, Uh, no, I don't have anything, um, but I'll keep my eye out. And then literally two weeks later, I reached out to her and was like, Hey, actually I do have something. I need someone for my agency. Like, and so that's how my first hire happened. That was really like a good stepping point. But I think with your first hire, a lot of people go through this realization of like, you don't have time sometimes to think about what you actually want and how the business is going to grow. And it's okay that as the business grows, your, like your trajectory will change because you don't know going into it. Like even coming up with a job description, I had a job description for her when she started, but literally two months later, we grew a lot. And then her job description changed. Yeah. That's how my, my job at Rella and what I do now are not the same thing. And and, and it's, and and that happens all the time. And like, 
you have to be willing to be flexible. They have to be willing to be flexible and work with you, especially when you're starting up and you're just building the core, like first yeah. two, three, five, even up to, I think the first 10 people. 10, like that. yeah. Just from experience seeing Natalie build up Rella. And like you saw when she was building up Weebloom, which was the precursor to Rella and you're doing it now on your own. And I think it's really cool too, like how it was your friend's sister, like, and it's like, I don't have anything right now, but oh wait, actually I do like- <laughs> Yeah, you, just kidding. And, I do. And you just never know. Like it and and it's good to have that network because you just never know. Yeah. So with that, like that was how my first hire happened. And then in July I hired three more people and it was a similar situation of like as our social media went live or as I talked about it in more networking groups, I had like a bunch of resumes and we had booked so many clients again where I was like, uh oh, we need more people. So I just went through my inbox, scheduled interviews, and then hired people from there. Um, I have had to fire someone before, and that was really, really tough for me. It was earlier this year. And again, it was a friend of my first full-time employee. And so that was tough. But luckily, like it was like she was mature enough to separate that relationship, which I was worried about, but she was really good about that. So, But it was tough because I feel like I waited longer than I should have to do it just because I kept wanting to give this person a chance and they just weren't like like part of it was that they ghosted me and my team for like six weeks and we hadn't heard from them including like my clients and stuff and at that point it was like I should take an action maybe three weeks into it or even two like two weeks tops but it was just like I I don't know like I'm a people person at the end of the day too and I just didn't want to like I don't know come off any sort of way so I'm learning how to be, I think, a better um, and more strict leader without being a bad boss, if that makes sense. Because I've been in boss, like employee relationships where it's been like not great. So I'm trying not to do that. But at the same time, I do think there's boundaries and like rules that you like you're in a workplace. You do have to follow certain things like respond to your clients, like really basic things that don't hurt my company. Because at the end of the day, what I had to realize in that moment was that I'm still paying him and I'm losing money because he's not doing his job. This isn't a favor that he's doing to me. Yeah. It's a business. And that's like, I'm, I'm like being better about that now that I have full-time employees where we have like an employee handbook and like all of the corporate things that, that the workplace teaches you. And I think that that structure is really essential when you do come into a startup environment so that lines aren't blurred and like people can't take loopholes here and there. Yeah. And I think that's the hard part of startups is that yeah. because it's your friends and family and your network at first, it, it's hard to blur the, like that line is blurred at, to some level. It is like, yeah. you know, they're your friends and like with your startup, you want them to, and you have one with any job, you have to enjoy the people you work with because they're the people you are with day in and day out. And like, you, you, you want to like the people you work with. You really do. Yeah. And if you don't, then that's a problem, but it's hard when it's also a business and you have to choose business over friendship, but it's good that your friend was able to recognize like, this isn't personal, it's business. And sometimes business is personal because they are your friends, but like, you have to know when to like, you know, and it's hard, like me and Natalie, like we're really close, but we're also like business we're, we're colleagues. She's my boss. Yeah. 
And we have to know when to like, all right, we're friend hat. Okay, that's off. Now it's business. Like it's hard. And it's even harder when you are transitioning now. Like how many people do you have on your team? Like you're going into the more corporate world. Now you have employee handbook. It's a little different. Yeah, I have, um, I have three W2 and then three contractor. I just recently, like that was a huge stepping stone was like doing the W2 process. And I think I did it like maybe two months before Natalie like went into it. So we like, we talked through it and she was just like, oh my God, if you hadn't done this before I did, I don't know what, like, so it's like, it's nice that like, again, we had that boss employee relationship when I worked with her, we had the friend relationship, but now coming out of it, we have like a really good, like both like friend and like business colleague, like a relationship where I can call her when I'm having trouble with something work-wise and it's like really great. And so that's part of what I wanted to keep with my employees too, is like, I'm here for you. I will be your biggest cheerleader. I will like be here for you. And I, I want to be your friend, but that comes with the boundary of like the workplace and getting work done and like treating my company the way it should be treating, treating our clients that way. Um, And with our agency too, it's like, I've built the agency very, I want to say personally, like all of my clients, I have a pretty personal relationship with along with like work, like, um, like I've been to their kids' birthday parties and like, you know, like it is about relationship building at the end of the day. Um, I feel like marketing and PR is about that. And how do you teach that to your employees? Like the best way to teach it is to be an example and foster that environment within the agency. Um, And so those are also the kind of people I look for and make sure is like tangible skills can be taught. Like, for example, designing on Canva can be a skill that you can teach. But if someone doesn't know how to have a conversation with a client or how to build a relationship with a client or how to even like, like if you're awkward in those settings, it's like, I have to think about, I can't put you on a client call. I can't put you front facing And I have to adjust your role that way. So that is also like a big part of my hiring process is looking at that piece. Yeah, no, that's so true. And it's hard to learn. Like you have to learn that the hard way, I think. And it's when you realize that it's like, oh, like I have to approach it from this angle. And, and yeah, it's like, same thing, Natalie and I, like we have that colleague mentality. We have that friendship mentality and, you know, I'm starting my own thing. And she's been a great help for me because she's done it before. And it's really cool to see that you guys have that. Now you help each other out. And, and that's why like you, they say you never burn bridges because you never really no. know what's going to happen, where it's going to lead you. I mean, there's times where you have to like, just cut it, like cut them loose. Yeah. Like you have to say goodbye. And that's with friendship, with personal, with business, whatever. But if you can salvage it to some degree, like you never really know where that person and in 10 years, you know, bygones could be bygones and they might be doing something that you want to be doing and you, they're the perfect person and you, you don't want to be like, damn, I wish I could reach out to them. So yeah, that's a good for any, that's anything, not just even being an entrepreneur, that's in being an employee at a big company. That's anything. Cause it's all yeah. about relationships and it's six degrees of separation. Everybody knows everybody, especially you and I, and now that we are in minority communities, it's even smaller or for me in law, for you in a business background, you know, Natalie in engineering, like it just, everyone knows everyone, every, like, you know, you just have to be very, very careful and building those relationships is so key. But 
you primarily focus on, or I think only focus on South Asian businesses. So was that a conscious decision? Do you, would you ever expand into that? Or is that, that's what you're like, that's, what's going to make you guys different. Um, so we are as of like, as of today, and as of me knowing this, we are the only agency that specializes in South Asian owned and founded businesses, like in the U S and that was very intentional. It was it came from the fact that I was like, I do have a founding background of another company. And when I looked around and realized like if I was outsourcing like my marketing, there is a very personal touch of like my story, my background, all of that, that like someone who doesn't come from that background would have a, it's not that they wouldn't be able to understand, but they would have a very tough time understanding that bridging that with the marketing. And it's like very nuanced because Although we have that background, it's also like we are marketing to the mainstream audience. Some of my clients' products are like candles. So everyone can buy them, but their story is very rooted in their culture. And it's something that a lot of agencies wouldn't be able to understand. Like that story part is not what they would be able to do. So it was very intentional to do it this way um, and to focus on one niche. I initially thought that it was too small of a population or like too small of a niche to focus on. But honestly, very quickly, I realized that that assumption was very wrong. There's like new South Asian brands popping up every single day. Um, and like, we do make a lot of the population here um, and globe, and like in North America as a whole. Um, so that's been nice. But I think we also like get opportunities that are outside that, um, mainly women of color businesses. And so I do like keeping it to that. That's not to say if I got like an outside opportunity that I felt like was really exciting and could contribute to our growth, we wouldn't visit it. Cause again, we do get outside opportunities, but I think it has to be the right fit. And I've always, again, built it on the basis of a relationship. Like I need to feel like the founder and I align on values. And I think the biggest thing when it comes to like the ethics part of building this agency is that like, we truly believe in the products or services that we're helping our clients market. I don't want to ever get to a point where I'm like working with a product or service that I really don't feel passionately about because how do you market that? And like, how do you think about it as a consumer? You, you kind of have to fake it and that's not fun. So yeah. No, that makes total sense. I, that was, that was why I was curious, like, would like, would it be too small? And I, and like, yeah, you look, you, you zoom out and you're like, no, like there's so many, yeah. but that was, I was wondering if like, you know, that was like still like, you know, your thought process on it. So you answered it for me, but and I'm just curious just because I feel like it's that it's important, the values for you that, that is, is, that is crucial. And that is part of why I wanted so badly to move home after law school was I recognized how important that really is to me growing up. I was like, everyone's Hispanic here. Like I, it's not special. And then I left it because I didn't feel special. I was like, you know, I don't have what all these other girls have. I'm not, you know, but maybe if I go somewhere where I'm the big fish in a small pond, I'll feel like, you know, I'll come into my own, I'll bloom, whatever. And then I got there and I was like, yeah, maybe I am, but I'm, it's for the wrong reasons. Cause I'm different. And I don't like that yeah. feeling. And I use that opportunity. We were talking about this off air. I use that opportunity to teach and to educate and to help people understand. But at the end of the end of the day, I was like, this isn't fun for me. If I feel like I always have to be explaining or sec- not even second guessing, but like explaining myself or like, you know, making sure like I, you know, I didn't like 
whatever. I, it just, I, it didn't feel good. And I recognized I needed to come back to my roots. And, you know, once I came back, I was like, oh yeah, this is where I'm meant to be. Like every time I step back into Miami, like whether it's airplane or driving and it's like, I know I'm home. Like, it's just like, I get this yeah. sense of like, this is where I'm meant to be. And so I, I totally understand that you want to keep the values and, you know, the story, the culture, like only you guys can understand that. And you can tell that story and other people can tell it, but no one can tell it better than you because it's your story too. And yeah. I fully, I, I'm, I, I totally get that. And, and I think it's special too important to note that you're like, it's not that I wouldn't take other opportunities, especially women of color, because those are also stories of culture that other people can't tell at least in the same way but you it would have to be a really unique opportunity for you because yeah you want to be especially with marketing that's why the influencer world became so curated and not authentic is that everyone was trying to do it but it's like what makes you different why are you telling the story and why are you telling it better than that person why do we why do you why should we watch you over watching this person and same with marketing. Why are you the one to tell the story better? Like there has to be like that connection. So I, I totally, like, I was just curious, but you know, I think, I don't know, like starting my own company as well. Like I recognize that like the clients that I want to have, I don't like, it's not about their follower count amount, how much money they're going to bring in. Of course, that's important to some extent because it's still a business and a business needs to make money, but I want to make sure that I align with the creator. I want to work with them. I want to talk to them. And like my clients, like me and Natalie, we have a group chat with our clients, like each one. And it's like, yeah, we know when it's a business relationship. We know when it's a friendship relationship. Like we were like, yesterday we were going to do like a group, a wine, a girl's wine night, like FaceTime. And we ended up not doing it. We're going to do it next week, but it's like, you know, like so much is happening in each of our lives. Like, yeah, we're business people. Like we all work together, but it's also like, we're friends because we're all the same age. We're all going through the same experiences. We want to talk about it. And that's so important with, you know, not just the values, but again, building that team and build and clients. And like, it's all about relationships. It's all about who, you know. And so I think that's, I I think that's a cool way to look at it. Cause yeah, you're being intentional about it. And it's, it's hard because then it comes across like it's exclusive, but it's, you're just, you're picky and you have a right to be picky as the founder. This is your business. This is your name. This is your reputation. It makes sense. Yeah. And I also feel like, um, I don't know, being in the startup space and being a founder can be lonely. Like if you don't find just like people who are there, like a phone call away. Like I can say that about my publicist too. She has her own agency. We work together on the same clients, but it's like, it's so nice to be able to just pick up the phone when like I've gotten off a sales call and like, or if there's like any sort of like, I don't know if I'm like having an issue with a client or something. It's so nice to just pick up the phone and be like, Hey, what do you think? Without it being, you know, that, um, like, again, we were talking about this earlier, but that competition mentality of like, let me just tell you something so that you like lose the client or like whatever, like it's, it's so supportive and it's important to find people like that because it's hard to, um, quite frankly, because it is, it can be very competitive in, especially I face that all the time with my niche, like with other South Asians in marketing, there is a lot of times where people, all people are trying to do is tear you down or like steal your clients or, and I faced this very initially too, where again, have a relationship with my clients. So it's like, there was a girl that like was starting her agency and was poaching literally my entire client roster. 
And I got calls from every single one of my clients being like, hey, do you know this girl? Because she's trying to poach us. And I was just like, is that really necessary? Like, I like, it's not the way you should be going about it. It's a little shady. So with things like that, like we have it all the time. Like, I'm sure you've seen it with other influencers or just being in the podcast space, but it's important to find those people that like stick out from that and really do want to be there for you because it can be lonely if, if you don't. Yeah. I mean, 100%. I've actually just recently experienced that. Well, I experienced it in law school. We were talking about partner track on Netflix earlier. Like there's a scene at towards the end. If you haven't watched it, I hope this doesn't spoil it for you, but for <laughs> the first year associate, they're at the big, um, the dinner where they announced the partners at the end of the show. And the first year associate goes to Ingrid and's like, if they helped us, like the boys help each other, like it would be so much easier because there is a, an Asian American woman at the firm, but she's not doing anything to help the other two that come behind her. And Ingrid recognized, like, I don't want to be how this woman was to me to this girl, even though she's kind of annoying because she's an eager first year, <laughs> like, which happens. And that, that and it sucks yeah. that people think that, but they do in real life and law school. But it's like, you know what? She might be kind of annoying, but like, I'm going to help her because I didn't have that when I came through and maybe things would have been easier for me. So, yeah. It's, it's hard. And, and, but then there, on the other hand, there is that competition. And sadly it's, I see it more like women to other women, 100%, but women of color to other women of color. Yeah. Especially, and not even my own minority, like other minorities too. And it's really, it's sad. It's honestly, it's very sad because there's enough to go around for everyone. There's 7 billion people in the world. You don't need to go after the same exact people. But when they're threatened by you, they're going to go after it because they're perceiving a threat. It's competition. And it sucks because at least personally, I'm not competitive like that. No. And, and I don't want to run my business competitively. Yeah. I want to do it because you want to work with me. Again, why am I the best person to tell your story? Why am I the best person to help you? I want you and I to get along on that level. Not because I can give you results like to me like is ROI important absolutely that's again it's a business but to me it's not about the numbers and that and like same with law like I didn't want to be a lawyer just for the money or just for the title yeah could I be at a big law firm making 150k right now plus yeah but at what point do I get to enjoy the money that I'm making at what point do I get to do what I want to do, what I'm passionate about, instead of having a stack of cases up to my eyebrows that I can't get through. And I'm never going to get through. And I'm never, you know, it's just like, at what point do I get to do it for me? I did. I went to all, through all of this schooling for me. When do I get to, or at least I, I did it for me. Some people do it for yeah. others. Some people do it because they're parents Some people do it because they want the money or because it's expected of them or whatever. Like, but no, personally, like I want to enjoy what I'm doing every day because it's not true that if you love what you do, you won't work in the day in your life. I think you're going to work 10 times harder, but because you're passionate about it, but it's like, I'm doing it because I'm passionate about it. So. I also, with that though, I also want to say that like, I love what I do 90% of the time. You do have bad days. Like, I think people love to glamorize, like doing like, entrepreneurship in general. Yeah. Yeah. Love to glamorize it. But like, I'm not saying that I like, like it's not great or anything. I'm just saying that it's a like it's a really hard thing to do. It's not 
the first couple years is not fun, quite honestly. Like it's you, you give up a lot of your like life and other aspects because you love what you do so much. Like I didn't have a social life for, for a while when I started both companies because I was just working. Now was that, I know people love to talk about work-life balance and all of that. In my head, it was like, yes, I'm working hard right now, but like a month from today, if I work hard right now, I'll be okay. And that's exactly what it was. It was like, that was the time where I needed to put my head down and work. And then a month later, I had work-life balance back. But like people, I, I think it's just the misconception of glamorizing it all. The journey is not that glamorous, but you have to love it to be in the 100%. journey. And you have to have the work ethic. You cannot be here. You cannot be an entrepreneur without loving it. It's not, it's just not gonna, like, yeah. it's gonna burn you out. Yeah, no, it's, and it's perception because we make it look like it's so glamorous online, on TikTok, on Instagram, the reels, the routines, like all of that. And we do that because we want to encourage others who are like us to do it too. And we want to support you while in you doing it, but we all need to do a better job of showing the not so glamorous side because yeah. that there, there is that 10, 20% that isn't great. But, and I think it's so, so true what you said about there's a season for work and there's a season for rest and you need to like, you know, hustle now to know that in two weeks you can take that two day off and go to the beach with your friends, you know, yeah. or go sell. And like a perfect example with the bar exam, like my professor, I remember he told the class above me. So two year and a half ago when they were, or like two years ago, I don't know. At time is a weird concept <laughs> um, to me, especially this summer, but he told the graduating class above me when they were graduating at like our end of clinic dinner, like if you have a friend's wedding this summer, go to the wedding, like taking a night off to go to a wedding, isn't going to kill you. Doesn't that's not going to be the determining factor, whether where you pass or fail. So you're going to regret it later if you don't go. So just go. If you need time off, take time off. If you like, don't like, like, especially in the beginning, take one day of the weekend off, take a few hours off, right? Take breaks, rest, because yeah, it's a season of really hard work, but if you don't take time for yourself, you will burn out and that's going to hurt you in the long run. And that's going to hurt your business in the long run in talking about business. Like, you know, it's hard. There's seasons for everything and you need to recognize when it's time to work hard and time to play hard or time to rest. And I think there's no such thing as work-life balance. I think it's priorities and time management and listening to your body and your body will tell you when it's time to take a break and you actually have to listen to it because if you don't then you're it's just gonna hard stop and you're you're just gonna give out and yeah that's not good for anybody and and I and I'm saying that from personal experience like it was not fun when I burned out in law school and it's really hard to come back from it and when it's a whole business depends on you and you burn out like that's people's livelihoods on the line and you don't want to have to say that you failed because no one wants yeah that's I think that's the biggest stressor too of having employees is like everything relies on you and it factors into the burnout process is that you already know that then you're slammed with work I think what's been really good is once you set up systems that are in place once you have employees And once you've divided up, like, I think delegation also is very key. And once you've been able to do that, like, 
there needs to be a system of like, what happens when the boss is sick? What happened? Because like, you're the first time I took a sick day, nobody knew what to do because I'd never done it before. Right. Like, and it got to that point where it was like, I was so sick that I literally couldn't work. I had been sick before, but I like got myself out of bed to just do it. But it happens. Or like I went on a vacation um, like three weeks ago where I had zero cell service for a couple of days. But in that sense, we had systems in place. My employees know how to deal with the clients. They know what to do. So it was really refreshing to come back to an inbox where it was like, there weren't that many emails from clients or anything because everyone was just kind of like, oh, we got it handled. Your employee handled this. She handled that. We're good. And that was really relieving, but it took a really long time to get there. I'm not saying that we like instantaneously got there. No, it's going to take time to build up those systems and you're going to have to sacrifice at the beginning. I mean, with everything, you're going to have to sacrifice those vacations and those, you know, going out with friends and all that at the be- for at the beginning but that's a season it's not always yeah. but once you start building up those you know you start off with contractors first before you have employees but you know you start building those systems in place and it takes a special group of people to be that first right. to build those systems and that's why hiring and firing is so important and it is so difficult but once you have those systems built and when you are ready to you know take time off you know that you have someone there to handle it and you know, you, and also you have to trust the process because they're not always going to get it right, but you, you need to make sure that you are right. You need to get yourself right first before you can put out for others. And that is the hard part about being the founder, being the entrepreneur, being the CEO, you're the one running the ship, but if the ship has a hole, like it's, it's not going to go that great. So you need to make sure you're okay. Yeah. And with mistakes too, it's like with a small company, when you're the founder and you're involved day to day, it's like the client knows it's you. So at the end of the day, and I say this to my employees all the time, I'm like, mistakes happen. We're all human, but you need to learn how to take ownership of that and reassure the client that you can move forward. It's like when, when it happens, you can't just ignore the email and say that I'm going to deal with it because what happens there is that I will deal with it. But then if you're the account manager, the client doesn't trust you anymore because you couldn't take ownership for your mistake. You All you got to do is say, I'm so sorry. I missed that. It, will, it won't happen again. We'll put this in place for it not to happen and everything's fine. But if you don't respond or you don't take ownership, then that like then they don't trust you anymore. And again, trust is a huge part of this business um, and it's the only way to go forward. Yeah, that's such an important note to like accountability and just, and that's with everything, relationships, personal, like personal relationships, like friends, partners, but in business, like it's okay. Your human mistakes happen, but you know what? Own it and try again tomorrow and try better next time. Just don't make, you made it once. Don't make it again, but, but but fix it. And yeah, like you can't just put it off to other people because it's not going to end well for anybody, but talking about just like the challenges of running your own business, how do you tackle the feeling of feeling like you're never, like there's always so much more you could be doing as the founder, as the one steering the ship. How do you recognize, like, I need to take that time for me. I need to rest. Or, you know, I feel like I could, like, you saw someone be like, oh, I would love to represent that person, but like, I just don't have a manpower. Like, how do you tackle that? I think with that is that I've gotten really good about like, 
when I started this year, I said to myself, I would say yes to opportunities that got so like, like, I'm not going to say that that was a bad thing. It was a good thing until it wasn't like, I started how it goes. Yeah. I started saying yes to too many things and I had to learn to like say no certain places. For example, a big one of those is fashion week. I'm going to Chicago today for another event. I'm going to be in Chicago till Sunday. And my original plan was like, okay, I'll fly from Chicago to New York. And then I had a bunch of stuff go on at home, like stuff with my family and then just like a bunch of work stuff. And I was just like, I already feel burnt out. If I do this and go from one place to the next and consistently have to be on, there's no way, like, I can't do that. So it was learning to like, kind of be okay with missing out. Like, I mean, in a way it is FOMO, but like, there's always like the opportunity. Some of these opportunities come back. Fashion week is going to come back in February. I can do it again. Um, it doesn't have to be like a do or die situation at this point. And if it is, then I need to prioritize which one's better. I can't be in two places at once. And I've like learned that and tried to stick with that. And it's been good. Like, I don't feel as much anxiety or stress about having to be at two places at once. Yeah. I was going to say, it's like, yeah, fashion week happens twice a year, every year. Like there will be other opportunities. And, and even if there wasn't, everything happens for a reason. I say that way too often, but like, it's true. Like if it wasn't meant to be, and you can try again next time. And there will always be, there will always be a bigger and better opportunity, but yeah, you have to prioritize because the grass isn't always greener just because you had the opportunity to go to fashion week doesn't mean that you were going to get, you know, it was going to go well for your business. So if you have this other opportunity that, you know, there's going to be an ROI, go for that one. Instead of just going to fashion week to say you're going to fashion week and putting yourself out there when you might not get anything and you're spending money and there's no ROI. So Yeah. yeah, prioritization, time management, definitely are two of the big skills in addition to just you know, networking. And I think that that's a great like takeaway from this episode, but with being a client forward company and, you know, both companies, you know, wedding clothes is all about the client, all about the bride, what they want. It's their day. You facilitate that. And then also with marketing, how do you like identify what they want and what they need? And like, how do you like, all right, like maybe you should go this route. I think this will be better for you, but balancing that with like they have a vision for their marketing or for their wedding dress or whatever it is like how do you navigate that with clients so I wasn't as good about this when I first started in both companies but I've gotten better with this it's the mindset shift of like they're coming to you because you are the expert you have to like own that at the same time with my clothing company I think what's different there is a lot of the people that are in that business are older and are like trying to just make the sale is what the feedback that I've gotten from brides I think what makes me different with that business is that I am pretty much in the age range of the brides that I'm getting so I can relate to them in probably a different way than like someone who's twice my age can um At the same time, I actually take the time to listen to what they want and not try to just sell them whatever I have on the rack because I don't really have anything on the rack. It's a custom made to order piece. So I have to sit there 
I have to listen. I have to go through their inspiration. And part of that is learning their story and like the dynamics behind their family. Because a lot of the times there's also that piece of my mother-in-law doesn't want me to wear this color, but I want to wear this color or so on and so forth. I'm scared for that day for me. (laughs) Yeah. So it's like a lot of that. So it's fine a compromise but also finding a compromise that works for the bride because it's her day and not anybody else's yeah I've had to have pretty tough conversations with like moms mother-in-laws all of that being like this is what she wants so I'm going to listen to her and not you but that is how I treat it because it's what they want um now will I step in and say something's gonna look bad absolutely if I think a design's not gonna work well if I look at their like body type or like just the way a silhouette's gonna cut and they've told me like for example if someone's like I'm really conscious about this part of my body and they've picked a silhouette that will emphasize that then I will tell them like hey just so you know this silhouette is gonna emphasize your arms and if you're conscious about that maybe we should try something else if not then go for it so like I will issue like warnings but ultimately like I'm not going to sit there and say, this is out of trend. You shouldn't do this because I also think like trends when it comes to weddings are like ridiculous because something's only in trend for like three months and they're going to be getting married probably out of that trend period. If they really like off shoulder, then who am I to tell them like, don't wear that. It's not trendy. So with that stuff, I'm pretty patient and I listen. Um, It's the same way with marketing. I think there's more of a like, with all the information going out about the algorithms changing all the time, there's more like of a conversation that happens because founders tend to freak out if they are not in the space when Instagram drops those reels saying we're changing the algorithm, everyone freaks out. But it's important to like sit there and tell them, here's your numbers, here's what's been working for you, here's what your audience likes, this is how we're going to do this. Um, and if it doesn't work, we'll change it and we're monitoring it, but don't worry. Cause we've got it. Um, I think the reassurance plays a huge part and then actually telling them why we're doing something instead of just being like, here, let's throw money at this. Cause then they know where they're at the end of the day. It's like, they are small businesses too. Um, the corporates care less because they have budgets, but small companies have every penny counts. So with them explaining why and how we're doing something is really important. Yeah, no, that's so special and important to note too. And I think it's hard navigating that, which is why I wanted to ask, but I think you do, you do a really good job. And, and it, it, like you said, it's what makes you different is that you're not afraid to be the expert and assert that you came to me for a reason. So let me help you in the best way I know how, but also still listening to them and their ideas, because at the end of the day, it's their business it's their wedding day so I think that's really important and you know you started these businesses kind of out of nowhere and they worked for you like how has it been your family's response I mean of course like we talked about that like their their network they helped you with going to the factories and meeting the people in India but how has it been like you know now like with the support encouragement because you did work in a big finance job, you did have, you know, you did have the American dream and then you went off and decided to pursue your own thing. And what has that been like your relationship with your family and are they really supportive of it? Yeah, my, I would say my immediate family, like my parents, my brother, 
um, have been supportive from the very beginning. Um, sometimes they, like with the social media world, they don't really know what I'm doing sometimes, which is okay. Um, it's very different for them. Um, but I think they've learned to like, just adapt, watch and like, listen and like, learn. My clothing company, I still operate with my parents. Um, they help out. So that's always been like, they've always been supportive there. Um, but yeah, with the agency, it was new. Um, they kind of just didn't know what I was getting into. They didn't know much about the space. And so they're constantly like asking questions, wanting to learn, not to like not be supportive, just to be like, I don't really know about this. Can you explain it? Um, and then with my extended family, I would say the older generations are a little bit more skeptical as they would be both sets of my grandparents live in India. Um, so like they just, it's it's just that they don't know enough about it. They don't know enough about lifestyle and stuff. And it took a while, I would say, for more of my extended family to actually not get on board, but actually have an intelligent conversation with me about what I was doing because they would just kind of be like, oh, you're just having fun or, oh, you're just doing this just to do this or, you know, like, and after now I'm at this point, I've been an entrepreneur for five years with one company, two for the other. It's been quite a while. So I think now they're like coming around to the fact that this is probably not going to change unless it has to. But until then I would like, I feel like I was getting annoyed because there would be people just kind of within my family, family, friends, you, you always have those people that'll come and be like, so what's next? What are you, what are you going to do? What, what, what's going to happen? I, I think the most distinct one is I remember one of my family friends individually without my parents being there told me that you do realize that 75% of startups fail and you have two and was waiting for me to respond. And I was just like, and then I came home and told my parents and my parents were upset at this person. But like, I've had people say stuff like that. And I've had to like, kind of the first couple of years were hard. Now it's not as hard because I'm just like, either they're just uneducated or they're just not willing to learn. And that's not my problem. Um, and so that's kind of how I tackle it. It was hard initially, though. But you really with entrepreneurship, you really learn who's in your corner and who isn't like that. Like, it's it's very quick. Yeah, 100%. Not just entrepreneurship, when you're going off on your own path, untraditional, like, because I think because it's a mirror of people, like they wish they would have done that, but they were too scared to, and they're jealous. Yeah. Or like some people are just going to be hell bent on misunderstanding you. And if they don't understand you, they don't like you. But again, like you said, it's not your problem. And yeah, I've, I faced all of those situations before too. And and I think it's even harder coming from a minority background and a minority family, an immigrant family. But, you know, you have to be true to you and you know this is the right path for you. And you have to be, you know, you're the expert. You're the you're the, you're the steerer of the ship. Like you need to be steadfast and like, this is what I'm going to do. And if you're not on board, then that's fine. I still love you regardless, but like move out of my way. Yeah, and it's like, you have that negative side of it, but I'm also like, I'm going to acknowledge that I have family friends that when I started the agency, like I run the marketing for their businesses. I have a couple of those that are my clients. Um, they, they are in my family. They are family friends, but they're also my clients and they treat me fairly. They treat me like 
I'm the expert. Like I have that too. So it's not to say that it won't be both ends of the spectrum, but they both are there. And it's like, I think when you're just starting out, you remember more of those like pinpointy negative sides of it. But like, there will be people that support you. There will be people that don't. You just kind of have to figure out how to balance it. Yeah. And you have to just lean into the ones that do support you because again, yeah. word of mouth is so important. And those are going to be the ones that, you know, you want in your corner. Um, and yeah, it definitely does teach you who your friends are really fast. Really, really quickly. But I mean, it's not a bad thing. <laughs> First it's not. It's for the best, really. Like it, it helps you narrow your inner circle pretty quick. Yeah. Yeah. There's a lot of noise out there and it's hard to kind of tune out sometimes, but it, it, it does have its advantages. Speaking of the noise, like how has it been like building a community around both businesses, like with social media, with word of mouth, how do you create a supportive community around you? Not just your family and friends, but the outside world as well. Um, so we, I think we're, we've found the most success as again, what you talk about staying true to who we are. I think like one major example I can give is for our agency for the blog. Like I'm pretty vocal about saying like my employees, like, I want you to write about what you're passionate about and what, and if it's opinionated, that's fine. As long as we're like, like, of course I edit and not let I like look at stuff, but I'm not trying to like hide people's opinions or if it's different than what my opinion is, I'm not trying to not share that because I want it to be their voice. I want it to be true to them. And those are the pieces that quite frank, frankly have resonated the best with our community. Um, some of the blog posts that my team puts out and like that they write about that really come from an issue that's stemming within their family or within their friend circle or something that they want to talk about within pop culture that like really struck them in some sort of way. Um, we always get really good feedback on that. And we're always like reading messages from people being like, oh my God, I didn't see it in that light. Thank you for sharing. Or I um, really appreciated you putting this out there. I was thinking about the same thing. Um, so I think keeping authentic voices has been key to kind of fostering a community that sees things in a different light and not just the mainstream. Yeah, I think that's really important too. And I think it's so special when a leader recognizes that my, that, that their team has value on their own too. And let me let me showcase it because it yeah. makes you stronger. You are the sum of all your parts and a team is no less. Like it's the same concept. So I think that's that's really cool that you you allow them to be a part of it as well. It's not just like you work for me, like you have to do what I say because some leaders are like that. And I think those aren't the ones that are, I mean, some people work well under that. They don't want to have to be the creatives behind it, but yeah, it's cool when the leaders allow those who are to be a part of it. And I think it's, it allows for just a more robust and fun environment, I think. Well, and we're growing, like, I wanted to feel like we're growing the company together, like that it's not my sole responsibility to grow the company, because if that's the case, then the passion kind of dies down when it, when you trickle down the ladder. So how I've kind of structured that too, is like every employee obviously has their like job stuff but then they have an internal project that they're working on for growing the company. So I don't necessarily have one person dedicated to business development. Every single person has a task that's like their passion project that contributes to our business development. 
development. So whether that's one of my employees runs the blog, like she's the main point person on the blog, or one of them runs like the HR part and like creates all the team culture stuff. Like that's because they're passionate about those areas and they come with ideas. And it's like, it makes it easier for me because I don't have to think about all of those, but then it's like, I have someone that genuinely wants to do that, handling that. Um, So then it feels like we're all like building this house together instead of just me doing it. Yeah, 100%. And I think it's more fun that way personally, being on that, on that side of it, the employee side of it. And we all get to have a say and like, we get to bring ideas to the table and seeing which ideas are going to be run with first. It's like, oh, that's a good one. But like maybe down the pipeline, like we're not there yet, but like, I'm glad you're thinking about it. Like, let's keep that one. You know, it's, it makes it a lot more enjoyable and, you know, it's hard work, but building a company and building a team and when you're passionate about it, it should be fun. Like there's a reason why you started this. There's a reason why you saw this need to, for you to be the one to tell your story. I think like it, it just, it's fun with telling a story. Can you share where everyone can find you? And I will link it all in the show notes. Yeah. Um, my agency Instagram is at Kahani digital K A H A N I dot digital. Um, and then my clothing company is at anis.collections1. Um, those kind of serve as the hubs. You can get to like our website and our other social platforms through the Instagram. So yeah, that's where you can find us. Perfect. I'll link everything in the show notes. Thank you so much, Hani, for coming on the podcast. Thank you for having me. 